0: Well, the response to the global global COVID-19 pandemic was certainly a grab bag of politics and public health, depending where you lived. It was different depending what province you were in. You know, a lot of different provinces were stuck listening to their politicians or their public health officer for better or worse. In Ontario, though, a group of scientific experts volunteered to step in and fill what was a perceived gap. Known as the COVID-19 science advisory table, the independent panel was created in July of 2020. And they got together to offer advice to the province and the population on how to navigate a ever-changing pandemic. Well, not for much longer. The group, as we know it, will officially be wrapped up a week from today. We believe the science table's uh, peerless, at least according to the Toronto Star, this is how they reported, the science's peerless pandemic dashboard will be eliminated, its access to data gone, its projects stranded. Um, So why now? Because we know we're heading into a fall where you know, there's, it's been a bit of a bad summer when it comes to the healthcare system. Clearly, uh, the seventh wave of COVID hasn't led to the kind of ICU admissions we saw in the past, but it's still out there. And then we the kids go back to school, people go back to the office. We usually see an increase in um, different sorts of respiratory or, or transmit, you know, infectious diseases in the fall, such as the flu. Um, and we still have COVID around. So why would you get rid of the one uh, independent group of scientists who are advising you about what may come next, especially when we all could admit, including Premier Ford in Ontario, that, uh, that the healthcare system is in a lot of trouble and it can't handle much more strain. Well, joining me now is Dr. Farad Razak. He is the scientific director of the COVID-19 science advisory table, at least for a little while longer. He's also an internist and epidemiologist at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. Thanks for your time tonight. Ben, it's nice to be back. So I guess just your initial reaction to this, I think it caught um, caught a lot of people off guard.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we were caught off guard as well. Uh, I think uh, over the long term, clearly there was going to be uh, a very different table structure. What we've had for the last two and a half years for the science table was, you know, between 20 to 40 core scientists, plus, you know, up to uh, hundreds of affiliated members. And Everyone essentially doing this in a volunteer capacity, except for the core um, members of the secretariat who kind of kept the wheels turning. And um, that's not sustainable for that many busy scientists to do indefinitely. I would have thought that we would have done it probably at least until sometime next year, kind of get us over the high risk fall and winter period. But ultimately, this is a decision by government. They're the group that supported a body like this coming together, and, and we are advisory. And when they make a decision that our advice is no longer needed, that's the end of the process.
0: You mentioned that uh, that perhaps you would have expected to to be around for a little bit longer, and, and that is because, I guess, according to your assessment at least, we're not out of the woods yet.
1: No, I mean, I can give you uh, data very concretely for Ontario, but I believe this applies pretty well across the country, which is that we are unfortunately, two and a half years in, we are unfortunately again at a high-risk period. So the uh, BA5 wave, which has hit across the country, which we're just starting to come down from hopefully in Ontario has left us with very high levels of disease uh, that's circulating. So if you look at the number of uh, PCR tests that are coming back positive, or uh, if you're looking at the number of people in hospital, or if you're looking at the wastewater signal right now in August, uh, 2022, we are probably at levels that are five to 10 times higher than August, 2021, uh, depending on the indicator you're looking at. So we have that. We have very high levels. We have, hospitals across the country from coast to coast, which are clearly showing enormous strain, emergency rooms closing, having trouble operating normally, uh, because again of the added impact of, of COVID and sick workers and other effects. So really important example where you don't necessarily have a lot of people in ICU, but hospitals can still struggle plus we have the beginning of the september fall season where kids are back in school people are more indoors and that's the environment where you get more viral spread so you you put all of this together plus the possibility of a of an influenza season layering on top and i think it's a very high risk fall and winter we're entering
0: it would seem the time that governments all governments not just the government of ontario would need uh hard truth you know scientific based truth. No no spin, no telling your bosses what they want to hear, but just straight up truth. And sometimes that truth can be uncomfortable, as I think uh, the table found out over time.
1: Yeah, I think any, any rigorous independent scientific advisory over the pandemic has at times produced information, which is difficult for government. This is, as you said, not an Ontario phenomena. This is a global phenomena. The the pandemic has created uh, incredible tensions in society, tensions between protection of individuals and individual rights versus protections of communities, societies, important parts of society that we all rely on like hospitals and schools. And there is these, there are these tensions, which have been, um, you know, rising in terms of the discourse and the discordance that they've produced um, Things like mask mandates, vaccine mandates, um, restrictions on personal freedoms, capacity limits, some of these things which are done for the intention of healthcare provision or preserving our healthcare capacity have wide-ranging effects. They affect the economy. They affect individual liberties. And so there's these enormous tensions, and they've put governments in very, very difficult positions. And so a scientific advisory group like ours or like any of the other independent groups that puts together data or analysis that suggests, for example, that we're not out of this, that things are getting worse. That presents governments with very difficult decisions.
0: And I guess in this case, the independence does really matter. Do do you have any sense of what this new body, if it continues to exist, might look like uh, going forward?
1: So definitely our body, the the group in Ontario, which has run for two and a half years, it has come to an end and and it'll be officially wrapping up within the next week or two. We're just seeing our existing work to an end. Um, The new body that's being created, I think we should treat it as a completely different entity with different scope of work, different membership. I think probably the members will be very different than the members of the current table. Um, It's its work is yet undefined. I believe that the Public Health Ontario announcement and the government announcement will come out sometime this week, but it, it could be later than that. And so it remains to be seen. And, you know, I think it'll probably follow the structures of more traditional scientific advisory to government, which often are much more constrained, um, are not as public. You know, uh, one of the things about science table advice is that it was often picked up heavily by media and by the public and the scientific community. I think you'll see a body which is much more directed towards giving internal advice to government.
0: Does that put, I mean, does that leave a gap from what you were providing, do you think? Is it a gap that we should be worried about?
1: It could leave a gap, but it is a fillable gap. There are many uh, talented scientists across Canada and across Ontario that can help fill that gap. Um, there is an ability for the work of whatever new body that's put forth to be still shared with the public, depending on its terms of reference and how it's structured. So I certainly don't want to prejudge a group like that. And, and you know, as I've said in other interviews over the past week, I sincerely uh, wish whatever group is created and Public Health Ontario and the government best of luck going forward, because their success is the success of people in this province. If they do well, we are healthier, and we're able to get through this pandemic with less damage. And so I do hope that whatever's created is very effective, but remains to be seen. I, 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 like you, am waiting for
0: the final description of what it'll be. Certainly, I imagine that you and other members of the table, though, felt you still had more to offer here.
1: Absolutely. We have more to offer that, you know, that said, we've, 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 we've done our best for two and a half years. And, and uh, for all of us, it's been, it's been work that we've done off the side of our desks, uh, often late into the night on the weekends at the cost of personal time, family time, our other work. And so, you know, I, I think as much as people are sad to see this wind down, and we do feel that we had something to offer still, I think many are feeling a sense of, well, I get a breather. And I get to focus on these other things that have really languished over the last couple of years, which are really important to me. And so there is that for all of us as well.
0: Uh, you mentioned this uh, a little earlier in the interview, but uh, you know, given the fact uh, that the summer has not given our healthcare system this sort of reprieve that it often does, uh, there are some real concerns going into the fall.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let me set the stage about what our hospital system looked like in Canada Before the start of the pandemic, so if you take us back to the end of 2019, early 2020, before the pandemic started, we went into this with some of the most constrained resources of any comparable wealthy country. So if you look at us compared to OECD countries, um, we have among the lowest per per capita hospital. Uh, resources of any of these countries. And the strain from that prior to the pandemic was very clear. For example, there was this phenomena across the country of, of, quote, hallway medicine. Hallway medicine means you have so many people coming into hospital that you don't have beds to put them into. So this was a major issue before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit and the pandemic caused uh, a system that was already severely strained and constrained in its resources to now run at this high tilt over and over and over again. We are now coming down from hopefully coming down from the seventh wave. So in just over two years, we've had seven stressful periods of, of, of cases rising, people coming into hospital, workers getting sick and yet still needing to provide care. Prior to the pandemic, that was typically a once a year phenomenon. We would t- t- tend to have surges sort of late fall, early winter, you know, December, January, February with influenza. But now we've had seven waves. We have waves stacked on waves, stacked on waves. So we're looking at waves of stress that now hit the system every roughly three to six months. And it has depleted what was already a very constrained resource so that the healthcare worker absences, the sickness, the early retirements, the strain, the shutdowns of emergency rooms, these are all phenomena that are coming out of the enormous strain that you're seeing in the system, and and that is the current landscape as we enter the fall and winter, which you know as we talked about could be very very tough. We've we've seen almost no influenza in the last two years because the measures that control influenza, uh, that control COVID, also control influenza. The masking, the improved air filtration, the the uh, physical distancing, those all reduce influenza spread. So we have the possibility of extremely constrained and now depleted workforce, uh, healthcare workforce, uh, an influenza wave and a COVID wave, which typically occurs every three to six months, all coming together. That is the scenario that we really, really worry about. And unfortunately, I think it's probably likely to occur. And the question now is how severe will it be?
0: So you're still recommending, I mean, I know mask mandates have become controversial, but you're still recommending that people take the precautions that they've been taking for the last two and a half years.
1: I, I am, because my question to anyone who says uh, we're done with it is, what is the alternative? So here we are, two and a half years in, we have a virus that has mutated to the extent that it's nearly unrecognizable to our bodies compared to what originally came out of China two and a half years ago. It is causing enormous dysfunction, and it is not just dysfunction in COVID admissions. It, when, when you lose an emergency room, you're losing the ability to care for a car accident, a heart attack, um, a cancer emergency. You're losing all of it at the same time. Um, I have a friend uh, whose, whose spouse was in a car accident a few weeks ago and within a, you know, a, a relatively small to medium-sized hospital in Ontario and was in a serious car accident. And there was a real gap in the number of hours before she was assessed by one of the trauma physicians that normally in our province would have been unacceptable. Um so you're seeing record wait times in emergency rooms across the country. This is the phenomena that I worry about. So it's it's so people shouldn't just focus on COVID here. We should say when our emergency rooms and hospitals falter, how do we how do we still provide safe care for everything that people need in terms of safe care. And if it's not by controlling COVID over this fall and winter, what is the solution? To me, the the problems in the healthcare system have been years or decades in the making. They will take years to address getting more doctors, getting more nurses, getting more long-term care capacity. You can't do that in a few months. So to me, the important question is what can you do, do this fall and winter to keep our system as functional as possible?
0: Because as we're looking, I mean, the, the uptake on the third dose—forget about a fourth dose or boosters or a new uh, new vaccine—it's it, been it's been going down, right? Canadians just aren't getting vaccinated against COVID as much as they did uh, when those first two doses were available.
1: I, it is going down, and this is a this is a failure on um, on many of us in the healthcare system, public health uh, leadership, and I'm including myself in that group. Um, who have just not been able to find the effective way of messaging and explaining to Canadians why they need to continue to take these steps. Um, that's on us. We we just need to do a better job. Canadians proved over the first two years of the pandemic that they were, when they were given good information, they rolled up their sleeves, went out and got the job. And in fact, we did a paper that was published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal just a couple of months ago that showed that in the first two years, compared to the G10 countries, which are you know wealthy industrialized countries that are good comparators to Canada, the US, Germany, Italy, Britain, et cetera, that we had the highest dose one and dose two vaccinations among all of those countries. And that was the Canadian public going out and doing what they needed to do. We have lost that. If you look at our booster dose uh, percentage, it's solidly now middle of the pack for those countries. So we need to up our game in terms of explaining to
0: people why this is critical. Messaging fatigue exists, though you know people hear the same message again and again and again, and eventually, um, with any message, people start to uh, start to to ignore it to some extent.
1: Understandable. Two and a half years, severe fatigue, um, hearing messages that are often contradicting, contradictory from public health leadership. Again, including myself, and and I get, and I would say this is the nature of science. We're dealing with a pandemic that exploded onto the scene, a disease that's exploded onto the scene just, just less than three years ago. And we we are evolving our scientific understanding and recommendations to meet both the virus and the virus's evolution and mutations. But that means that sometimes what we say today is different than what we said two months ago. And you lose public trust when that occurs. You People rightfully ask, well, you said this Uh, a couple of months ago, you're saying something different now, why should I believe you? And we're struggling to keep up with that trust and the messaging that's required for people to go out and do the right things to protect themselves.
0: I know all the good work that you and the rest of the table and all the volunteers that took part and did is coming to an end. But clearly, do you have any concept of how this pandemic might come to an end now?
1: We thought a lot about that. And I think most of us believe we are far, far away from the end of this right now. We are entering a different phase of the pandemic we're entering a phase where you're seeing um, the systemic effects and problems that are occurring so early in the pandemic we thought the the waves and the stresses would be big wave a lot of people in icu manage them and then the wave will end and then you'll have a recovery period what we're seeing now is a very different pattern we're seeing a wave stacked upon a wave so ba5 stacked on the earlier omicron wave without a real resolution of that wave and you're seeing major problems in healthcare and in society because of just burnout, fatigue, broken supply chains, all of those things. So I think our understanding of how this, these waves and the virus can hurt us is evolving. There is nothing scientifically to me to suggest that we are on our way out of this. We are in the seventh wave and nothing suggests to me that to have an eighth or ninth wave
0: and so on. Dr. Rezek, uh, thank you for all your good work and thanks for your time tonight. Thanks, Ben. Always great to be with you.